Hello, and once again, we are one day closer to dead. My partner is the Vanilla Godzilla, Jason Bailey. And my partner over there is the great David Beaudry. And how you doing, Jason? What's happening in the world of Bailey? Well, you know, it's uh, one of those things where today, I think, proves that we've actually synced up our uh, menstrual cycles. Uh, I understand that you went to the dentist today. I did, yes. So did I. Uh, this was unbeknownst to us uh, that, that we've done this, that uh, you actually had yours and I had mine on the same day. What did you get done, buddy? Uh, just a, a checkup and a cleaning. Thankfully, nothing uh, nothing egregious. I was thinking in my mind, like, let's hope they don't find something that causes my jaw to be swollen to the size of Michigan by the time it's time to record. So, nope, they said everything, you know, pretty much good outside of the, the usual. I grind my teeth in my sleep. That's a bitch. Got to wear a mouth guard, that usual stuff. Uh, but uh, nothing that requires any type of uh, surgical intervention. So yay me. How about you, Jason? How did yeah. your luck turn out today? Oh, you know, it was fantastic. I went in. It was the first uh, visit I've had post-COVID, and I'm pretty good with my dental appointments. You know, I do, I do what I'm supposed to do both at home and with the dentist, the cleanings and whatnot. But um, the dentist I have here in this area is pretty much the best goddamn dentist in, in, in all of uh, Kentucky. And so there is a, a large wait, and it was my first trip back post-COVID on a big cleaning and all that good stuff because they just shut down. They weren't even having people come in for the longest fucking time because, you know, pandemic and whatnot cotton candy and um boy did i need it they just looked at me like what in god's name is going on in this mouth and uh so i was the, <laughs> can i answer that so i was the lucky winner they basically were like listen we're not just going to do a cleaning we got to get under your gum lines and pull out these mountains of fucking calcium and shit you've got deposited in there uh, so I don't have one visit. That's out of the way. I have two more fucking visits to get the whole goddamn cleaning done underneath my gum lines, the whole goddamn thing. So I was just like, boy, this is good stuff. So uh, I've learned to uh, to just put up with it, you know, but uh, there is such a long list of people to get into this dentist. Uh, believe it or not, there are people in Kentucky who give a shit about their teeth and actually want to keep them. Odd, it must just be Lexington. I don't know, but uh, that's that's what happened today with me, but I, I didn't even know until you text me that you were at the dentist. I'm like, how fucking bizarre I am too. Just goes to show, you know, insane minds and fucked up people think alike. So there you go, buddy. What's funny is also the my dentist also put in a request for an authorization for a deep cleaning. They just haven't heard back yet. So I may have to go back for deeper, uh, deeper as well uh, underneath the gums and all that shit. But uh, at least there are no cavities. So I, I may be going through the same thing, Jason. I don't know yet. It's uh, oh, good. It's, it's to, fun. Yeah, it's wait. Fun. have to wait for that approval because the mm -hmm. dentist is a dumpster fire, Jason. Well, I don't know if you knew that. We're not there yet. That's not the mm -hmm. fucking thing. Anyway. I will say, let, let, me, let me say this real quick. I will say the, the lady running the x-ray machine um, seemed to be struggling a little bit. I have a feeling She's I got had the job for the less than a week, Dave. That's the employment I'm, out there. Well, no, I, th I, I believe the problems she was having with the machine were the same problems she was having with the machine a year ago. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know how many x-rays are supposed to be part of, like, a set when you get your update, your x-rays updated on your dental work and shit, you know? Um, I'm pretty sure I exceeded that by at least 30%. Like, I think my teeth might have been glowing in the dark. And she kept here, oh, well, it moved. Let me do, oh, yeah, the hinge on this thing is loose. Like, like, how much fucking radiation am I getting pumped with right now? Like, 
Chernobyl's looking at me like, God damn, that's excessive. But anyway, um, yeah, so that was that was one thing I, I tended to notice. So maybe I'll have mouth cancer in a few years, but at least at the moment, knock on wood. Hey, mouth cancer, but at least you have clean teeth. You know, it's a trade-off. Um, exactly. What I did do just to reward myself for the absolute insane uh, dental cleaning and below the gums and pulling shit out from yesteryear that's been embedded inside me, um, I decided to treat myself to a little bit of vinyl hunting. And I went to a place that's near my dentist in Georgetown that uh, is sort of, it's, it's like the, they call it a peddler's market or it's like a flea market, you know, that kind of deal. <clears throat> and I went there to my usual spots and realized I've already, like, you know, plundered and pillaged everything from the 1980s uh, that they had there. So it was pretty much, you know, uneventful. And I was like, well, that sucks because I think everyone out there knows how much I'm into vinyl and I, I just fucking love record collecting. So I was getting ready to leave, but I remember there was one area of the market in the very corner that had older vinyl, older records. And I mean old, like from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. And this is a big deal for me. I love, I love this stuff. Um, so I went back there just by happenstance, see what they had. Now, for all of you out there who know me, uh, you, you know that one of my favorite characters in all of movie history, if not my, my, fine, my best uh, my best actor in the best performance, the, the thing I like the most out there in Superman, the Denzel Washington picture. in Training Day. Now, he wasn't actually in Superman, the motion picture, but in Superman is Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. Um, I often think that I did Luther for president just to be Lex Luthor. I think I want to be more Lex Luthor than I even want to be a fucking actor. Honestly. You could definitely, you could definitely <clears throat> see the Hackman influence in both the way that role was written as, as far as Luther for president, the uh -huh. way you wrote Lex Luthor, as well as the way you performed him. You could see it was definitely colored by that for sure. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely, it's just. Yeah, I I should probably start lucid dreaming that. But anyway, I'm I'm still the champ. I've I've moved my. I'm not the champion of the NWA anymore. I'm now uh, fighting for the championship in the AWA about 1987. So, at any rate, I went there and uh, there's a line in Superman two where <laughs> he's like in a prison, like an Alcatraz type situation, and one of the prisoners walks up to him and, and says, so, or, Lex Luthor's walking behind him and says, I want my Liberace record back tonight. So I've always wanted to get a Liberace record just to say that line. I just want to give it to somebody and walk over to them one day and say, I want my Liberace record back tonight. Anyway, it's good so, to have goals. It's good to have fucking goals, but it was in the back of my head. I've been to this part of the flea market so many fucking times. I've got a lot of big band music, shit like that. Well, holy fucking shit. The mother load of Liberace records had appeared since the last time I was there. And what's great about this place is it's really records and vinyl and shit from like family members who somebody's died, gave them all their shit. And that relative doesn't know what the fuck to do with it. Right. And yeah. I mean, this motherfucker must have been whoever died the greatest collector of Liberace in all of fucking Kentucky. Every single Liberace album was there. And I'm like, oh shit, this is coming home with me tonight. Anyway, <clears throat> I get the first one in the whole catalog. Liberace's very first record, original pressing, 1952, mint condition, six fucking dollars. 
Six fucking dollars. This is from Columbia Records at a very bizarre like record speed, too. I couldn't fucking believe it. So I picked up my Liberace record. I picked up another one after that, a 1965 performance he did in London. So now I can officially say... I have a Liberace record and they sound fucking fantastic too. So, you know, I got my teeth all scraped off, but also a huge find on the vinyl front. And, uh, yeah, if you're a collector, they're, they're still out there. You just have to, a lot of people dying from cotton candy, I think. And there's shit just arriving in, you know, flea markets and, and peddlers markets and, and things like this. So, uh, yeah, if you're a collector of anything, you know, anything from yesteryear, stamps, coins, records, I guarantee you it's going to be readily available uh, over the next couple of years because people are just passing away and family members don't know what to do with this shit. They really don't know. They don't want it. And it also tends me to think like, you know, that stuff you're collecting to hand down to your family members in the future. They don't want this shit. They're not going to have this shit. It's going to wind up in some sort of flea market, just like the Liberace record I found today. Now I know nothing about vinyl collecting and, and you know, the, the rates and such, how much something such and such is worth. Do you have an idea how much that uh, record in its current state would actually typically retail for collection wise? Or did you look that up? I'm curious. Uh, the thing is that I did not look that up at all, but I, I know okay. for a fucking fact, it's more than $6. So sure. I mean, okay. it, I just shook my head like, this is crazy. And it, and it, it plays perfectly. It really does. So it's just one of those things where it just fills me with joy when I can find something like that, because, you know, obviously somebody under assessed it, didn't give a fuck, just wanted it out of their basement or, or wherever the hell it was, but that stuff's out there and it's, it's really, really cool. But yeah, I'm one step closer to being Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. I do have my Liberace record now. Well, also, you know, we we would be remiss if we did not mention he was also the the guest uh, uh, timekeeper, ring bell, whatever in uh, the first WrestleMania. <laughs> the the bell timekeeper ringer person thing. He had a bell and he rang it. I don't know if that would be considered the timekeeper or what the fuck. But uh, well, he's he's amazing though. I mean, just just out of all the collecting stuff, let's get that out of that way. Liberace is amazing. He's fucking fantastic as both a performer and, I mean, just his piano skills alone. But on top of that, the way he can work an audience. I mean, he was basically the gorgeous George of pianists. And he was he, he really did a great job of performing as a character and making that his own. And uh, it's I, I always think about my sister Katie. She, one time, I don't know how she had this fucking epiphany. But one time she goes... I can't believe we lived in the same era as Liberace. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I guess that's something. Because, I mean, to me, Liberace really is like sort of a modern day version of some of your finest concert pianists. Sort of how I look at John Williams. I look at John Williams like, ain't nothing Mozart can do that this motherfucker can't do better. I mean, that's just how I look at him. So, I, you know, you are on the world, this third rock from the sun every once in a while where there is just the amazing fucking talent that exists with you at the same time. And I think, I think that's fair to, uh, to say that it was cool to uh, be alive in the early 80s and Liberace still running around and, uh, you know, making his young men look just like him through plastic surgery and playing the piano better than everyone has ever done it in the past. So there you go. Well, it's like, like you and me, Jason. Like, I mean, Jesus, we're alive in the same era. 
Well, that's true. At the same time, like, goddamn. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Rock and Stone Cold. I mean, I was how, that same how the fuck did they do this at the same time? These two monumental human beings. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, so at any rate, that was kind of cool. I do have something else I'd like to say before we move on to a bunch of other craziness. Um, <clears throat> we had a lot of listenership all over the world last week, uh, probably more than we've ever had. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to a lot of international cities out there. And thank you for listening to us. Some of you popped up for the very first time. And we can get more into that when the dumpster fire situation happens. But uh, I want to say thank you for listening to Frankfurt, Germany, Bradford, England, Madrid, Spain, uh, Toronto, Canada, Singapore. Thank you very much. You guys uh, really lit up on our last episode. I certainly appreciate that. And then, of course, some cities here in the United States of America, some of, some of them are getting a lot more listenership than, than we used to, Dave. Um, you know, Wichita, Kansas, Los Angeles, uh, California are some of our top cities. And they were, again, top one, two. New York City, New York popped up for the first time in the top three. So oh, wow. thank you for joining us. Uh, my old hometown for about four years. San Jose, California, which is nothing new. They are great fans of ours, and we love having them. Newark, New Jersey popped up several times for the first time. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Houston, Texas. Charlotte, North Carolina. Woo! Louisville, Kentucky, Kansas City, Missouri, and Oakland, California. I just want to say thank you to all you wonderful cities out there and you wonderful people in those cities who uh, put up with uh, my insanity. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We really in my depression it. and and <laughs> Dave's migraines and my mucus. And thank you very much. We do appreciate having you listening. And uh, yeah, welcome aboard to One Day Closer to Dead. You're there. Well, I'm that- there. We're all there. Well, that was that was the backup uh, title for the the podcast, Jason. If if one day closer to dead didn't work, if migraines and mucus was the the next one on the list. I think that's going to be our medical one. That's where Edward's going to actually be the lead. You know, one day closer to Ed instead of one day closer to dead, and then you and me just show up with our problems, and he just assesses what the fuck's wrong with us. We can't do well, I- my, our mental stuff. That's a whole nother deal. Just our physical ailments. Well, I'd like to just hear him talk shit to you. I think that would be very entertaining. Oh, just just wait. I'm sure there'll be plenty in the in the future here. Maybe in this very broadcast. Ah, uh, who knows? The night is young. But uh, I will say uh, one thing that is going to be coming up shortly. I'm announcing it here first, Jason. Though you, of course, are already uh, aware. Um, I have given a lot of thought to this over the last like year, and have kind of finally decided to, to pull the trigger on just for anybody that'd be interested. Because uh, I do a lot of writing and creative writing, and in addition to obviously the podcast stuff that you and I do, um, and you know things of that nature. So I wanted to uh, start launching a Patreon to anybody that would like to participate in said uh, content. Wouldn't affect this podcast at all. This stays exactly the same as it always has been. Um, but you know, I'm thinking of. I'm still kind of putting everything together. But I'll I'll have a specific announcement on this on the specifics next week, um, where I'm thinking of doing like a little bit of like a an after dead you know, kind of addendum, you know, for 20, 30 minutes, kind of give my thoughts over whatever we had talked about or, you know, and then, you know, short stories and, you know, maybe movie reviews and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I think it'll be like Patreon, the search for more money. Um, you know, and it'll also help cover, uh, you know, editing costs and, and, you know, cause I update the software regularly. There was, there was a thing, remember a couple, it was a couple months ago where for whatever reason, my editing suite, like started having some major audio problems every week to where I ended up having to like update the, cause they did some update and it fucked the whole thing up. So I had to like replace it. 
Well, little do the listeners know that uh, your home computing system is actually uh, the forebear of HAL. Uh, so the, the, your, your evil-ass uh, system that you think is helping you is actually spying on you and is developing its own, you know, self-aware artificial intelligence to kill us all one day. I mean, it's being held together by like duct tape and chewing gum. So hopefully the uh, Patreon might help uh, cover some of the some of the upkeep on that. But uh, so anyway, I think it'll be kind of fun. It'll make keep me accountable as far as doing creative stuff that I like doing, like kind of give me an extra boot in the ass to like get something written or, you know, when I know that there's going to be like people that are expecting it. So I, I tend to work at my best when I have those, that type of, of pressure deadline. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes about. And, you know, I'll, I'll get off uh, specifics announced on that uh, next week. Well, that's awesome. The, uh, you, you can't go wrong investing in the Baudry brand. It's very, very creative man. And uh, yeah, I, I, the heart and soul of this whole fucking thing that you're listening to right now is Dave Baudry. So well worth your time and investment for sure. There will be no, um, Jason Bailey style webcam services. I will say that. Uh, hey, you've, you've I, got I your side hustle. Somewhere. You've got your side hustle. I've got mine, pal. Okay. <laughs> and believe me, I'm just as creative as you, just in a different way. I don't doubt it. Uh, I will take your word on it. Hey, um, you know, one thing I wanted to get to real quick uh, with you, Dave, is because, you know, you had some ideas on, on talking about this, and I've been following it too, is uh, what's going on, the update with uh, the Rust production shooting <sighs> investigation fiasco clusterfuck that is covering everyone's ass that's happening as of right now because i know uh inquiring minds want to know and uh the dozens are definitely inquiring what's going on with all that well i'll tell you this this is a story that just keeps on giving and obviously i'm being purposely facetious when i say that because you know someone's dead and and someone else is badly injured and just the the entire <clears throat> tragedy of it but um you know, in the aftermath, it's had its share of absolute fucking absurdity as well, as well as some additional tragedy, which I'll pitch back to you to go over, Jason, because you were the one who actually sent me the article on this, this other thing. But the thing I wanted to mention is, so uh, we talked last week about how Alec Baldwin had, had made um, some statements and how we were like, he kind of probably should really stop talking at this moment. So Alec Baldwin, who I don't doubt feels horrible about this whole thing, but he does bear a large level of responsibility in it as a producer, as I said before, even as much as an actor uh, has now suggested that in the future, every uh, production using firearms should have a firearm specialist on set that is in charge of the weapons and blah, 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 blah. That should be a, a former uh, police officer. So you're suggesting that production should have a fucking armorer on set every time a weapon is used. That's a great idea, Alec. Why didn't the why didn't the industry think of that for the last fifty fucking years? Uh, and you know the the only thing he added to that conversation of something that already is supposed to have been occurring is that he said, "Oh, it should be a police officer," which is neither here nor there. Like. There's plenty of great armors in the business that I don't think have ever been in law enforcement. Maybe they've been military. I don't know the stats on that. But, like, dude, when your production is the one that had the massive fuck-up that caused someone to die because of not being gun safe, maybe you should not be the one lecturing the industry on what they should be doing for gun safety right now. Just throwing that out there. The armorer allegedly was a dumbass, and if you had a competent armorer, whether they have been law enforcement or not, 
This would not have occurred, period. So anyway, I thought it was hilarious that Alec Baldwin had the brilliant idea of essentially suggesting that production should have armorers on set, which has already been an industry standard for decades before he even got into the business, I believe. Um, but yeah, great idea, Alec. Uh, anyway, Jason, what, is, what uh, do you have to add to the conversation? Yeah, well, you know, other than it just seems like a completely cursed and fucked production, uh, there was an article that was sent multiple times by a lot of you guys out there, the dozens. I swear I have my own newspaper. It's called our email address. You guys send the greatest shit. I mean, not the greatest. You know, it's all tragedy. But it's it's good reading. Um, and the, apparently on this production, the Rust production, all, there's some other tragedy that, that befell one of the crew members as they got bit by a, I guess, a brown recluse or some shit like that and the infection a poisonous is, spider let's put it in simple yeah terms. yeah badass spider uh a bit of and then uh, there was such an infection i believe in his arm um that he's uh he's possibly going to lose it to amputation so they started a Kickstarter program for this uh, this this fine gentleman, and I think it was a GoFundMe, but GoFundMe some shit, and hopefully they make enough money that they can draw the poison out of his arm, and he gets to keep his arm. But you know, I'm I'm not trying to make light of amputation for Christ's sake. I'm not. What I mean, well, sepsis is, is no joke. No, 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 not at all. But the thing is, like, what the holy hell, dude? I swear, it 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 seems like forces beyond the physical realm really did not want this goddamn production to come off. So at this point, you want to know what? At this point, I think either, you know, maybe five or ten years from now, a behind-the-scenes, heart-of-darkness-type documentary on this film will be a much more enthralling uh form of viewership than whatever they were getting ready to film i'd also like to know what the fucking story is i should probably look that up see if i can get the script because you've got a production now that's going to go down in history as what in god's fucking name was going on on that set in that production what the holy hell so at any rate um i just think that uh, it's very interesting and, and all of you guys out there are still keeping abreast of the situation also dwayne johnson the rock uh, with his, um, what's it called, Seven Buck Productions. Yeah. I uh, said that uh, anything that he's producing now, his production uh, 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 company is going to be producing, will no longer have actual uh, firearms in any capacity on set. It will all be rubber guns with, um, you know, fix it and post After muzzle effects. flashes yeah. and shit like that. So at any rate, he he was the one of the first big time heavyweights, literally and figuratively, to uh, come out and say, yeah, it's enough. We're not we're not bringing in the real shit anymore. Uh, well, so there you go. I mean, just some interesting stuff coming from that Rust uh, production. Well, yeah, and also a little bit more on that as well. I was unclear from the article that you sent me, Jason, in regards to the spider bite. I'm unclear on when that happened. It sound, I believe it happened, I, I would think. I mean, they haven't shot anything. Let me. They haven't filmed anything pro after, you know, the, the death of their cinematographer. Now, I, there were crews that were probably cleaning up the stuff that was there as far as equipment or, you know, kind of just halting everything on the production. I don't know if it happened, if this spider bite happened before the gun incident or after. After? Like, I'm, I'm not clear on that. I don't know if it was the result of production being unsafe or if that was just one of those really bad luck situations because yeah. wildlife is kind of hard to predict. So I, you know, I'm, I don't think you are either. We're not pointing any fingers on that. Like, I don't know. 
Um, obviously, we hope the, the gentleman who is afflicted makes makes full recovery. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, in the United States of America, he has to do a GoFundMe to cover those medical bills instead of the production company that hired him, possibly, because he was hurt on the job, um, you know, taking care of that. But alas, uh, the United States of free enterprise, Jason. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then one last thing that's, that happened, to I believe, as of today, and, you know, we record on a Wednesday night, so I believe this lawsuit happened either Tuesday or uh, was filed Wednesday, one or the other. Um, a gaffer on Rust has been the first to formally file a lawsuit against the production um, in regards to negligence, uh, emotional stress, things of that nature, um, in regards to the uh, the gun discharge. So I think that's going to be the first of many. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll keep tabs on how all that plays out. Yes, we will. And thank you guys for being part of that discussion. Uh, certainly uh, many listeners of this program are in the industry and are just, you know, I think fans of filmmaking and interested in stuff, aside from the human tragedy of all, I think that what we brought to the table on that discussion, that firearms on set or whatever the name of our show is, I can never remember our fucking titles, uh, is that you guys said that we brought a lot of, you know, firsthand experience to how things are working on sets and should be. So thank you for being, being part of this discussion. And, uh, we will, uh, we'll keep investigating and keep, keep talking about it as it goes, goes forward. Well, I think this has been one of the longest intro segments I think we've ever done, Jason. Is there anything else to uh, talk about? There certainly fucking is, son. Um, the thing is that we got the most international listenership last week, and I don't know if it has to do with our topic, which I think was a very evergreen um, you know, topic that affects every single one of us, but we also got the most feedback we have ever received for a show... For last week's show, um, what are you made out of or whatever it's called? And um, it was very interesting because that actually was sort of a, I almost think like a sequel. Now, it was brought up from a very disturbing news article that we had to do a lot of investigation because nobody else was fucking investigating it. But um, it was also almost a sequel to a very popular episode we did called Fight, Flight, or Fuck It. <clears throat> and a lot of people out there responded to that and i think what this is about in my opinion dave um is this is about meaning the amount of feedback the amount of feedback and just okay. the kind of concern that our listeners have and are invested in this topic which i never thought we would get i i don't know why but i just never thought we would get this involved in in a topic but you know we talk about what but we want to talk about on this this show and that's part of i think the the magic of what we do together is, you know, we're not controlled by forces beyond just what Dave and I come up with and what we would like to, to talk about. And, um, that's why we're America's favorite niche podcast, Dave. But the thing is that I believe this topic really hooks people because of like a dusty roads situation where dusty roads would always say, you know, for, for big time wrestling storylines to work properly, it doesn't have to be complicated. It should probably not be complicated. Um, it only takes something that everyone can relate to. That's all it takes. And he's right. This topic is something I believe everyone can relate to is that they will, you know, they've either witnessed violence that they've had to either step up and take care of, or they've actually just witnessed it. And what were they doing at the time they were, they were seeing said emergency thing, not just, 
you know, let's say a victimization of one person against another person, right. somebody acting insane, or possibly even, and we didn't get into it last episode, but we did fight, flight, or fuck it, an emergency medical situation that they could stay, they could probably uh, help the person who's suffering or step up and help them if, if need be. So at any rate, not only are, are we going to, in our lives, I think multiple times, be a witness to these flashpoint situations in our life, but they could be afflicted upon us too and possibly witnesses and people being around and how are they going to respond? Had no fucking clue that this would take on a life of its goddamn own. But I think that the story that we highlighted due to a listener sending this information to us and us going into it further really, really piqued the interest of everyone who listens out there. For, for those that don't know, it was a lady on, a, I believe, a train in Philadelphia that got sexually assaulted over an eight-minute period while there were, I don't know how many people were on the, the train, but a significant number were witnessing it, and no one did anything to help. Finally, uh, someone, like an off-duty well, I figured if it was an off-duty, like someone who worked for the transit or if it was yes. it someone who, uh, emergency service, who called 911 and finally, yeah. you know. But after, you know, eight minutes of assault right in front of a bunch of people, they just kind of let the whole thing happen. So we uh, we had a lot to say about that, but that's the context for the story of what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think, you know, our outrage of the, the situation was evident. And I think my outrage to... A lot of people that I just sent out there and said, am I off base here? Because the article went on. It wasn't the, I think the insider.com or whatever. It wasn't them making up excuses for the witnesses, but they had psychologists on there that were explaining things. I was just like, I don't give a fuck. And I think that uh, my outrage was highly fucking evident to some of the responses that I received back, particularly from some of our male listenership out there. And I, and, and then, you know, the female listenership out there, um, some of these badasses that listen to us, uh, these, these wonderful women, uh, have been some of our biggest fans, biggest supporters when tackling, uh, subjects like this. So I just want to take the pulse out there and it was very interesting what we got back. So yeah, I really beat the shit out of a lot of listeners, not in a personal way. I didn't call out anybody by name, but I certainly did uh, really go to town on what I believed and got, uh, I think there's a, there's something to be said about that because maybe the emotionality and what I was saying really came through because a lot of you responded emotionally back. Uh, so that's kind of what I think we're, we're going to get into is, uh, is possibly our first segment here, Dave, uh, just really the aftermath of the show. So let me let me just clarify, Jason, because for, for those that don't know, I do not see the feedback. Jason handles that. And then, you know, any feedback Jason shares on air, I'm hearing for the first time because we like doing it that way. That way, my response to it is genuine. Uh, but am I correct, Jason, then in saying, uh, our feedback is a dumpster fire. Jason, did you know that? Am I correct? Is that accurate? That is accurate, Dave Bodry. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Hit me with it, baby. Let's go. What do we got? Okay. Well, <clears throat> first of all, uh, a couple of the male people that did not... And, and by the way, I have to apologize. A couple of our male listeners, a couple of the men out there, a couple of the boys, uh, I did Shanghai them. I have to apologize by sending you the article and being kind of like, hey, what do you think? And uh, then them not giving me the the uh, response that I wanted, so I beat the shit out of them. And and I want to apologize 
for that. Okay, I should have been a little more up up front. But Symbolically, getting, I'm, I'm having <clears throat> images of you going to their front door and like dragging them out of the house, which is kind of hilarious, like a Jay and Silent Bob thing. But uh, we're, really we're talking is. verbally, symbolically, not in the mm-hmm. literal sense, Jason. No, no, but I not just, I'm sorry, guys. I, <laughs> okay, you, you got it in. Did you get it? Did you get it out of your system, asshole? So at any rate, um, I'm just saying that it was very interesting to get that feedback. But having you guys not know that I would share your generality with the listeners, I think, in my opinion, which I'm always right, elicited a more honest response. And many of the males out there were like, well, you know, it is what it is. I don't think that, you know, you're able to get involved in something like that because of A, B, C, D. And this article had psychologists saying the same thing. Well, all of them can suck a dick. Uh, At any rate, some of them came back not knowing and and said a few things in their quasi-defense. Of some of some sort. Is it you're okay. flipping through pages? Is this now in response to our podcast last week, or this is yes? Okay. Now we're in response to me beating the fuck out of a lot of men out there by where where's a hero when you need them? I'm holding out for a hero here, Bonnie Tyler. I'm holding out, and it's gone. So it's sounding that like a lot of this is directed is at you. Then am I correct? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it's just one of those things where you know. Dave gets outraged by certain... Th- I know he was outraged last week, but I'm really fucking outraged. And I, I don't mind really beating the fuck out of dudes that uh, aren't really dudes. So here's the deal. One of them came up with uh, saying... And I'm, this is, I'm going to get into specific feedback where I'm going to read very soon, but I just want to get some generalities out of the way. Uh, a couple people responded to the, the podcast last week by saying, Listen, Jason... We know what you're saying and we agree, but our society has taught us, specifically men, don't get involved. You're going to get fucking sued. A lot of people brought up the legal aspect, like multiple fucking people. We didn't talk about the legal element of that really as much last week. We did talk about that extensively, I believe, in the Fight, Flight, or Fuck It episode as far as that kind of particular element of it. Yeah, we uh, we actually did. But in their response, they're like, you know, I guess uh, they felt if seeing someone getting raped in front of them and them not standing up would protect them in a legal capacity, that that was that was good enough. Uh, somebody actually wrote or one of the lines, they said, you know, we have learned that he who has the best lawyer wins. And that it is a legal situation now where you've been taught as a, as a society to stay in fucking line, keep going forward, just look down, mind your own fucking business no matter what's happening because in the United States of free enterprise, even if you're protecting someone who's being victimized, you can be the victim in a legal lawsuit. So many people pointed this out. May I, res- I, may mean, I respond something to that? Sure, absolutely. Um that's the aftermath. That's, you know, and I, I understand the concern. However, when you're worried about the aftermath in the midst of this incident occurring where someone is being victimized in front of you, I think that's putting the cart before the horse a little bit um, because their victim, they're being victimized in that moment, I think should uh, take priority over um, a legal concern that could happen in a date to be determined. Absolutely. It, I think there's a sense of urgency there that needs to be um, um, considered. Yeah. 
I agree. I really, I really agree. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're giving me very, uh, Mr. Spock type answers for why they would never get involved. Sure. And some people said they've seen shit. I think Captain Kirk was needed just a little bit more in this situation, but, um, uh, that was one of them, a, a, a high marker for, um, kind of that covering your ass in a hero stepping up, saving someone way was, I just don't want to get sued period. Uh, number two, uh, many people, uh, were amazed and it was brought up, I think twice specifically that human beings they have realized are much quicker to get involved and are less hesitant to save an animal being victimized than another human, which is bizarre. And I didn't even think about that is something that the, you know, these listeners, they brought it to my attention. Like, have you ever really thought about that? That we as humans, if we see someone kicking a dog, throwing a cat, abusing some sort of animal, we go fucking ape shit. Specifically in the United States of a, a free enterprise, we really, really love our goddamn animals. I would say animals and, we also and children. Love, yeah, but I think, honestly, I think we moved into a part of society where children are sort of like, fuck it. I think it's animals now. Now, here we are. All of us are fucking carnivores. Every single one of us needs as much meat as humanly fucking possible to shove down their gullet, but they cannot stand to see an animal harmed in any way. And all I can respond to that is, yes, it is bizarre, uh, but really, I think it leads to, you know, cover my ass uh, comment number one. Maybe the animals just don't have lawyers, and that's why it's easier to get involved. I, I don't know, but Dave, that was brought up a couple times and, and they were like listening to our episode. Somehow it reminded them of how easy it is to do the right thing when you're seeing an animal victimized, but not a human. Yeah. I mean, I said, I, I think I would put children in that same category. Cause I believe if, if you took the exact same people and had them on the exact same train at the exact same time, and it was, you know, God forbid if it was a child that was being assaulted in such fashion, I tend to believe that it would have been more likely that someone would have intervened. I could be wrong on that. That's entirely speculative. Um, you know, that, that, that I don't think that makes the inactivity of the people that were there any less wrong. Uh, but, no. um, you know, I, I understand that point of conversation. Sure, Batman hopes so. You would, you would, you would really hope so. And then uh, finally, the third point of the kind of, well, this is the way it is, uh, sort of, of, this is why I would not get involved in that and have not gotten involved in these situations. This came up multiple times as, um, it's not unique. People out there who listen to us, you know, males are saying, this is not unique. People get raped all the time. People get beat all the time. And honestly, maybe I'm just desensitized to it, but it's just, I see it as a worldwide problem. It happens all the time in India to kids, to women, to whatever, kind of just sort of making it seem like, so it's okay that I don't get involved because I'm just, it's, it's all encompassing. It's omnipresent. It's all around us. Who am I going to be the hero for? And who am I not going to be the hero for when it happens all the fucking time that was brought up multiple times. I mean, my, my response to that is that a, no one is asking anyone to uh, single-handedly stop sexual assault worldwide. However, uh, again, sense of urgency. The reason that this can become so widespread is because people can be so afraid of intervening when something is happening right in front of them. So if something is happening right in front of you, 
don't think of it in terms of heroic, non-heroic. Don't put that type of label on it. It's just about right and wrong. Um, you know, I, if something like that is occurring directly in front of you, that is the time when you have the direct ability to do something proactive or in the moment that could prevent it for that particular person who is experiencing or suffering from that. And I think that is a worthwhile, more than worthwhile, I think that's a responsibility as a society that we need to take seriously. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, you're, you're saying that's, you know, it's not a matter of heroics. Don't label it that way. It's a matter of right or wrong. See in my, in Jason's world, that is, this is the same fucking thing. And I'm not saying that it's in anybody else's case or labeling, but it is. And I'm tired of tiptoeing around this fucking issue. I'm tired of people being like, well, let's talk it out. No, sometimes a motherfucker just needs stopped. Sometimes if there's a fucking problem, you are the person. When everyone's like, they will take care of it. They will take care of it. Motherfucker, you are the they. But also, You are the they. But also, sometimes vocal in the, in the moment, depending on the situation, sometimes vocal is all you need. If someone you know is assaulting somebody and you yell at them and that causes them to get up and <clears throat> run away, you don't necessarily have to chase that person. You can then tend to the victim and make sure they're okay. Or, you know, no one's asking you to run into traffic and jump over cars and and, you know, have a, I am. have a Hans Zimmer score banging behind you as you're doing it. Um, Perfect. But it, that's the thing. Intervention doesn't necessarily have to mean a physical fight. Sometimes it does. You and I both know that, Jason. But um, it could just be a matter of yelling at them, letting them know that they sure. have witnesses, that it's not going to be like... That intervention doesn't have to immediately necessarily be physical. Sometimes it does. But the fact that nobody did... Anything, anything is is inexcusable and again like if if yelling at someone verbally is enough to get them to run away then like yeah it's it's not necessarily your job to go catch them but then hang with the victim and make sure they're okay until emergency services show up or whatever like just get the in in the in the moment the urgency of stopping the act of violence takes precedent and then you know, after that is ceased or halted in some way, shape, or form, then you can prioritize whether how you know how far you want to go in in you know not retribution, but maybe um, in apprehension or or whatever. But the first the priority one in that moment is just stopping the victimization from happening. However, you right. can if you can do it verbally, right. cool. If you can do it by pulling a phone out and filming, and they see that and run away, cool. If they don't run away, then do something else. Throw the phone at their goddamn head. I don't know. Um, but you know, try something, try yeah. something is what I am begging people to take more seriously. Well, I think it's about, you know, concern for your fellow human, just absolute concern for fellow people. And, and you have to put your own, I hate to say it, but you have to put your own safety on fucking hold. You really do. And that's what it comes down to is you have people who can go, I know harm could come to me and shove it to the back of your head and go fucking forward. And by putting a motherfucker down, I mean that in any way possible. doesn't have to just be physical. could be yelling. could be a bunch of people staying up, taking their shoes and throwing them at them. could do anything. Anything would be better than sitting there and just allowing shit to happen. You know what I mean? So I understand where you're coming from there, Dave. Any other feedback? 
Absolutely. So we have two major pieces of, we had a lot of written feedback, but the two I wanted to cover, uh, one of them is, is definitely a platinum listener to us. And then I'll go into our final piece. Um, this is sent to us by Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, a great contributor to this program. And he writes what some of us are made of. And I will read as follows. Dear Dave and Jason, I want to respond to your last podcast regarding the horrific sexual assault that transpired in front of an audience of onlookers on a public commuter train. I did read this article from insiders.com that you referred to in your last episode, and I found it deeply disturbing and in many ways infuriating. Now, I don't consider myself a superhero, but I cannot imagine how anyone could stand by and observe what was going on without in any way intervening. To be fair, I have not read anything else about what transpired, but I did hear that there was a video that someone was recording of this incident. I think this speaks to a whole different element that was not necessarily discussed about in our society being much more of an active observer than necessarily being participants. I think when you first did your fight, flight, or fuck it episode, you did talk about how many people have become passive observers to things that's going on around them. I also understand that people feel that recording horrible things, i.e. police beatings, shootings, murders, etc., that are happening in front of you carry a lot of power. Recordings with your phone do carry a significant amount of power because it can later be used as evidence in a subsequent court case. However, I don't understand how there can't be both an accounting of what is going on for your protection, both physically and legally, but also intervening to stop a horrific act that is incurring as occurring in front of you. Now, I don't want to be confused with Mark Wahlberg or Chris Jericho and these things that they have said regarding, you know, being on a flight during 9-11. But I do think there is an element that comes through my mind when I think about this type of event. I can recall boarding passenger planes again for the first time after 9-11, and there was an anxiety-provoking and scary proposition when I did this. There was always a concern immediately after 9-11 that something like what happened could happen again. For months afterwards, I would always size up the people on the plane and determine who I would want to recruit if the shit does hit the fan. And I needed to step up. I promise you that it is no lie that I felt that if anything did ever happen, I would have to be part of the response in some way, as I am a big guy. At the very least, I can look intimidating to possibly get smaller people to calm down. I wouldn't act to be a hero or anything, and I wouldn't want other people to act as a group. So we would need to overwhelm them if such an attacker or attackers did actually pop up. Because, you know, be, me dying by myself doesn't really help anyone. However, I bring that up because if I were on that train, I think I would have at least tapped a couple other people and said, let's take this motherfucker out. I also would have made it very clear that the cops are on the way and that the motherfucker was not going to get off the train without police coming to arrest him. I don't know how you can sit there for eight minutes and not do anything. Now, I know that the 9-11 example is different because, you know, you're on a plane that is going to be hijacked and the passengers of United Flight 93 knew they were going to die, probably, likely. It is a bit easier to act in self-defense. However, I use the example because I feel like one must always be willing and able to intervene, even if that might mean that they may lose an eye or get seriously injured or even killed. Even the act of putting the fucking phone in his face and recording him saying, this is going to get your ass in jail and get you arrested should have been enough to stop this guy from doing what he was doing to this woman. However, 
doing nothing and assuming that someone called the police and it was proposed in the article like you know someone else is doing something is absolutely fucking absurd if you think someone else called the police call them again call them 10 times who cares that's what they're there for now i'm sorry to be rambling i know this is a late contribution to your podcast but i i did want to get my thoughts out there and uh, I urge the Vanilla Godzilla to see me in a clank so I can give him some mood stabilizers or anxiety medication because I think he kind of flew off the handle and started attacking our poor dozens who are just simply trying to make it through their day and, and listening to your wonderful podcast. And big hugs for Dave as usual, friend of the show, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez. And P.S. he adds, my daughter was already interested in taking a martial arts class. And after the show, I immediately signed her up and told her that I want her to be a goddamn black belt before she leaves my house. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. That is the correspondence from our wonderful friend and contributor, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez on our last episode. And where did he send that email, Jason? He sent the email to where all of you send your wonderful articles that I read every single day and your absolute dismay at how much I beat the shit out of you on air now uh, to the following email address. Ask Dave and Jason at ProtonMail.com because, well, God damn it, Protons. All right. Any uh, further feedback, Jason? Yes, this one and Thank you, Dr. Is, Eddie. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Eddie. That was fantastic. We love, we love hearing from you most of the time. So uh, that, was a, that was a great uh, correspondence. It really was. And I, and I feel a lot of people probably did have their, after listening to us, look at their daughters and go, well, you're going to the Batcave to train. Uh, this one here I'm going to read is a little more, I have to be a little more discerning here. Right. <laughs> well, this is intriguing. <laughs> I, love, I love conversations that start this way. Yeah, so while, I while, just while, while you're while careful. you're editing in your head, I'll also say like not only talk to your daughters, but talk to your sons, because well, it's more. In my opinion, it's more about the sons. I really do. My my being a dickhead last week more than usual is is to tell men like I don't know what they're teaching you. I don't know. I know in a perfect Star Trek society, we would just talk to them and maybe stun them with a phaser, but we don't live there yet. So you're going to have to step up and no violence may not just be looking for you directly. Okay. Like where they've got a picture of you with a fucking X through your face, maybe me, but for a lot of you out there, you will encounter it. Life is just too, too long to live. It's just the law of averages. You are going to be needed to step up. Are you done discerning, Jason? Are you ready for the... Go ahead. I'm, I'm ready here. Here we go. <clears throat> Dramatic silence. Here we go. This is from a female listener uh, responding to last week's episode. Okay. And I'm going to be very delicate about how I read all this. Okay. Um, I always knew I could defend myself in the event of a sexual assault. But I wasn't able to save myself the night I was being raped. Without a doubt, I was never going to be in a physically or mentally abusive relationship ever. But I wasn't able to see the signs of and all the red flags when I was finally in a long-term relationship that really pumped both of those things. 
but others could see red flags in these situations and can see red flags in these situations. And others can bring attention to those said red flags, resulting in making a dramatic impact of preventing these things from happening to anyone. I think the worst part about this is rereading both the article and what I'm writing now, and it's sounding exactly like a fucking PSA. And everyone I know is tone deaf on all of it. If we just started to care for one another, simply to, you know, reach out for that golden rule and treat others how you would want to be treated, the world might have the opportunity to make positive changes towards preventing people from having lifelong issues, PTSD, trauma. It doesn't take much to care. We're just in a point in society slash humanity that it's clearly evident that caring is just that too much. If we can just step outside of our own self-absorbed bubble of a world and acknowledge that all humans are going to need help surviving at some point in time, and we are the ones that need to do the help. We didn't get to this level of evolution without helping our pack. Maybe after this, or after last week's episode, it might prompt people to assess their own behavior, their own interactions with others, and a willingness to care. And that is a wonderful uh, correspondence that was sent to us after last week's episode uh, from a female listener. And uh, kind of responding not just to nobody stepping up and helping the woman who was being victimized on the train, but also some of our talk of this rape is omnipresent. It's in our rapetainment. It is just now society just sort of like it is what it is. We don't, we, you know, obviously publicly we're outraged by it, but somewhere inside, not enough to step up and help somebody when we're actually seeing it. So at any rate, I thank you for that. I really do. You know who you are. Thank you very much for sending that. Uh, and I'm just astonished and happy by how much of that response we got from females out there was positive and the fact of, you know, self-empowerment, but also, you know, letting everyone out there, I'm more on the men's side, beating the shit out of you guys. Um, and, but all of you out there just stepping up. And when you need, when there is a, a flashpoint situation in front of you that needs addressed, or you think that you have the capacity to help somebody because you hear it all the fucking time in suicide prevention. You hear it all the fucking time in, you know, depression treatment. If somebody is suffering, just say, how can I help? How can I help? Well, sometimes it's more than that. You absolutely need to get involved in circumstances that are happening. If you suspect it in anyone's life, particularly a woman, if they're being abused, raped, hurt in any way and be, I'm just going to say it, be the hero. We need some more in this fucking world. We really do. And for all you women out there, yeah, it, I, when I said last week, you're, you know, and Joey said it perfectly said women are playing the game of life in hard mode. That's absolutely the absolute fucking truth. It really is. I think now more than ever. So thank you very, very much for the feedback. It's more feedback than we have ever received for an episode Thank you. We really appreciate it. Even if we have differing opinions, we love the feedback. We love the discussion. We, we want to know what's going on out there with you guys. Well, also in regards to, and, and also I, you know, I second that. Thank you very much for the, the correspondence and for, you know, sharing your individual stories, but also the, 
the public discourse has gotten better, I think, um, in regards to sexual assault in that it is more talked about than what it was, say, even in past you know years or decades or whatever. Um, however, the legal system, I don't think has caught up with that to where there's still so many different loopholes. And then like the way, uh, if a victim, you know, is raped and then has to testify at the trial, the re-victimization of that. And then the way the defense attorney will still inevitably go to the playbook of, you know, promiscuity or, or somehow trying to paint the victim at blame. Like those are all still very much the psychological elements that are still very much in play that are, are extremely traumatizing to anybody that that has gone through it or will go through it in the future. So I, I do think the discourse has gotten better publicly. I do think we're still problematic as far as how rape can be depicted, uh, as a plot element, um, you know, in, in various, whether it be, you know, film TV or whatever. And I don't think anything is like off the table, like something should never be shown or, or be mentioned. But again, like I, I do think programs have gotten a little too comfortable falling back on, on something like sexual assault when they need something that they think will shock the audience or, or get them immediately emotionally engaged in, in whatever story they're trying to tell. Um, <clears throat> so I think that discourse has gotten better, but the legal system certainly hasn't. And, um, you know, and, and again, when it comes to the, the concern of, of lawsuits and, and all of this stuff that can happen in the aftermath, it, you know, this is a theoretic or a, a hypothetical question uh, about how much is a, a life worth? Like, you know, all right, let's, let's say something is happening where someone's getting assaulted, either sexually, physically, whatever. I, you know, with the best of intentions, intervene in it and then later get sued. And, you know, I, I end up, I don't know, having to, you know, come up with like, I don't know, 10 grand or something in a, in a lawsuit. Bullshit. Sure. Is that not still worth trying to prevent that from occurring? Um, what type of monetary value are we placing on that? Um, I'll honestly, and I, I'm, it, and again, it's not like tooting horns or chest beating or whatever. Like I'll take the fucking chance of a lawsuit, dude. Um, because if I end up having to like come up with some scratch later or something, at least I'll be able to know that I tried. <laughs> yeah. You'll be able to look yourself in the mirror. Absolutely. That's what it, that's what it's about, Dave, is it's one of those things where, you know, I can't I can't tell you what's one of the most startling things about all of this, I think, is how many people I talk to or they, you know, kind of chuckling or I mean, look at the name of our podcast, you know, one day closer to dead. We all, I think, are at a, a point in our lives where we realize that, yeah, every every single day we're getting older. Every single day we're putting up with more bullshit and we're, we're self-examining. Um you know, ourselves and the world we live in and how fucked up it certainly is. And I think that we're, that's the point in life we're at, but I can't tell you how many times just jovial chuckling black humor way. People are like, yeah, we'll probably be dead tomorrow. Ha ha ha. Life's not worth living. I love George Carlin's, uh, you know, that one special he did that said he entitled it life's worth losing. And it's, it's sort of the same play on how we look at things. I, I believe and, um, but then when it comes down to your life might be on the line, how fucking protective these same motherfuckers are. And it's like, no, we're all going to die. If you got to go, what a way to go, go stand up for some motherfucker that's being abused. I mean, and the same thing with a lawsuit. If someone's like, Jason, you know, you killed this person who was raping this person accidentally because you bear hugged him and then you squeezed him in two parts. Uh, you're now going to be sued for a billion fucking dollars. I'll gladly 
fucking go in debt and fucking tell the whole world why fucking bear hug some motherfucker in, in too. It's one of those things where as a man, a person, a human, you can look yourself in the mirror and go, that's goddamn right. That's goddamn right. You sue the fuck out of me. I, you know, you got an eye patch. Yeah, you fucking earned it, bitch. I mean, they're just, it's that part where maybe it's only one or 5%. Maybe I'm giving more credit than it deserves out there. But whatever it is that, that we have touched on and however hard I kicked people in the fucking balls last week, boy, you, you guys certainly did respond one way or another. So cool topic because I truly believe you will encounter it not just once or twice, but multiple times in this shitty long life we live. Well, if you would like a uh, more optimistic subject, Jason, childhood is dead. <laughs> and unfortunately, so is uh, so is Dean Stockwell, an amazing actor, uh, passed away a couple days ago at the age of 85 by natural causes. Um, Dean Stockwell is a, is a guy who most of his work I actually never saw. But the work that I did see, I was deeply affected by. Uh, he was best known by me as uh, Al from Quantum Leap. And that show at that time in my life really just kind of gave me a, a release. And, and that character was just such a good friend to this guy, Bacula's character, who Sam, who, who <laughs> needed one in all of these circumstances he found himself in. And Al was always there. And, and Stockwell's portrayal of him really always stuck with me. It's probably one of my favorite characters like ever in the history of television now that i think about it um something else i remember dean stockwell for uh is he was a bit of a villain in uh, beverly hills cop 2 which was highly entertaining to me but but it's really that character of al that that really carried with me even though i didn't see a lot of his other work which was very extensive i mean he started as a child actor back under contract with mgm when that was still a thing he worked mm -hmm. with everybody at some point or another he was in movies with sinatra like i mean just what an incredible legendary career but you know um my understanding is that he was you know a, a, just a very great gentleman to be around i, I personally never heard anything bad about him hopefully hopefully i don't eat those words later but um you know just a, a life really well lived and um i'll always be grateful to his portrayal of that character which really helped me at a really difficult time in life and um you know definitely feel feel badly for for his family and you know at 85 at least he he had a nice long run man Absolutely. Yeah, he was born in Los Angeles, California and just started as a child actor. North Hollywood, um, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh so he was I mean he was around during the studio system. He was during every single, you know, uh incarnation of Los Angeles show business uh bullshittery that went on decade after decade. He saw the coming of the the unions, everything. I mean he was he on was, Broadway. Uh, he was right there. Yeah, um, he he dropped out of show business in the '60s for a few years just to be a hippie, just to fucking travel around and be a free spirit. And and he didn't he didn't get back involved in because in, he had been a, like a childhood actor. Uh, but he was hanging around at Berkeley and just you know, free spirit guy got back involved in in, in probably late '60s, early '70s, and and started up his his adulthood uh, career at that point in time. What's interesting about uh, Dean Stockwell is that most people who listen to this show are in the late 30s, early 40s by demographics, okay? Um, mostly early 40s. And what everyone knows him from, from what I can assess, is Quantum Leap. 
He was so a character good. actor and a lot of other things, but people just go fucking nuts about him in this series, which the series, what, ran, what, five years? Four, Less? Four, I don't it was, even it was four know. or five seasons, I want to say. Yeah. And, and, there, and, and even recently, he had said that, and I think Bakula had as well, that they were in talks to possibly do some sort of, of reboot of it with the two of them. And I was really excited about that. So I, I am, you know, for selfish reasons, very, very sad that that is now obviously no longer the, the case, at least not, you know, not with him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though. It does go to show you... Um, I know this is kind of a side note, but in an acting career, you can go years doing different parts and different, you know, uh, maybe you're a supporting actor, maybe you're a day player, maybe you're just got a little bit thing here or there. It really only takes one role, one part for a few years to make your whole goddamn life. It really does. And I mean, it's, it's, that's really what people know him from our age who love this dude. They don't talk. I mean, you, you brought up some of his other credits and that's cool, but I mean, that's what everyone thinks about. And I know we got like, I think John Collins, you know, a great listener and friend of the show. Yeah. He loved this fucking show. Joey did Jobaka. I think I can speak for, for Cody as well. Commander Cody, but so many of us, they love that fucking show. They fucking love it. And it never, you know, that when they think of Scott Bakula, that's what they're thinking of. They sure shit ain't thinking for, you know, enterprise. So the thing is that major league three again, I think that a lot of people, it made, uh, Dean Stockwell such a, wonderful fixture in for whatever reason that you know that he felt, gen x probably early millennial type situation he felt like everybody really friend. did he felt like everybody did friend. yeah and i mean to to make that kind of mark with a, just a show that lasted like four years or some shit that's amazing that's amazing and it really shows you that's uh that's fucking acting for you dude you can just have one part for a little bit and you can ride that comic convention highway the rest of your life on that one fucking role. And, and, and he did. And, but he was very beloved. And I think he'll be, I think a lot of people who listen to us will probably go back and watch, uh, try to find quantum leap and, and rewatch that and watch his performance in that too. And if you haven't seen it, you definitely search it out, search it out. I mean, search out anything with Dean Stockwell at this point, just to see, you know, other high moments of his, his long career. But as far as quantum leap goes, if you have, if you're not familiar, you haven't seen it before. It's, it's worth a look. I think it holds up, especially because it takes place in so many different time periods. It holds up today because the show isn't as dated necessarily um, because it plays to the time periods with which it's taking place in each episode. Absolutely. Well, it's a, you know, for Scott Bakula is fantastic because it's getting, you know, he got a, he oh, got a best four role. or five year, he got four or five year run. Whereas an actor, every single thing you get in a different time period, it could be a comedy, it could be a romance, it could be a drama, it could be an action or a combination thereof. So as far as a, an acting uh, gig goes, that's an actor's wet fucking dream so i mean you know that's uh it's just a, a great show on so many levels and uh having you know it was just the right actors the right people right story everything came together at the exact right time with that show so i, I think it's absolutely beloved by our listeners and probably every person our age actually so it, it's just a yeah it's a loss but this guy was a life well lived absolutely you got that one right dave all right, final uh, final segment of the week, and then we are out of here. We'll get this as quick as possible. Uh, WWE fired a bunch of people again this past week. I don't want to go through the whole list just because that's, you know, 
kind of redundant. If it's something that interests you, you're probably already aware. If it doesn't interest you, you won't give a shit. But I will say Nia Jax is fucking gone. Woo! Um, Dave Bodry's least favorite professional wrestler well, look, is gone. Again, I'm not one to wish harm on anybody's life. It's just she was so reckless and it hurt so many people in the ring and showed absolutely no like awareness or remorse for any of this that I'm sorry, I don't feel bad that she's finally released because I don't think she should have been there for years now. Now, the rumor with her, and it's a rumor, is that they let her go because she's not vaccinated and was refusing to. I That's the rumor. Don't know if it's true or not. Some of her social media posts were, no, were, were uh, kind of anti-vax, but then you could say the same uh, to a degree about Sasha Banks, who is still with the company. I don't know what Sasha Banks' vaccination status is or isn't. Um, but... Uh, Karrion Cross was another big name that, that got released. Uh, I think he is relevant or worth mentioning because of how badly he got fucked as soon as he went to the main mm-hmm. roster. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Cross. I always thought, it, I just, I mean, I thought he had a great look. And, you know, I thought Scarlett Bordeaux, they worked really well as a pairing because um, she's been his longtime manager there. I believe they're engaged in real life. Um, either way, they're a couple. But, um, you know, and they had a really good visual presentation. I thought they worked well together. As a performer, him, I thought his facial expressions were kind of overblown, and it's just it was hard to take him seriously because he was always wide-eyed and just kind of playing to the back row too much for my taste. But, but I mean, the dude is a physical specimen, and I think any of his drawbacks you could work with. Like, he had the look of someone um, and the packaging with her of someone that should in any other era of McMahon running that company, be a star in that company. Um, and had done very well for himself in NXT outside of some injuries. And then Vince brings him to the main roster, immediately takes away Scarlett Bordeaux. She disappears as far as being on TV or doing anything of note. And then they change his entire look, put him in some SM like red demolition looking fucking thing. And like, nobody could get this thing over. And and then have him lose to Jeff Hardy in his first week. And then he's, yeah. he flounders on the main roster for, I don't know, maybe six weeks, seven, I don't know how long, a couple months. And then they, Vince cuts him because he's like, well, he wasn't able to get over with the audience. It's like, you completely undercut this motherfucker's career. Everything marketable about him, you completely changed and took away. Um, now, it may be the best thing for him that he and Bordeaux got cut because they could end up somewhere where they could be very prominently featured, maybe make more money. Like it, It's not the end for them. But the fact of the matter is, this is a guy that had all of the cards that the Vince McMahon of old would normally love to play. He had the size, he had the look, he had the physical athletic ability, he had the manager that Vince, I mean, Vince doesn't normally give a shit about managers, but with Scarlett Bordeaux's case, she's the type that he would definitely normally prominently feature. Um, And she's a very important part of his packaging. It's worked very well for them in other places. And so for Vince to undercut all of that, take all of that away, and then be surprised that the dude flounders with this shit that they gave him. I mean, if you need a more pitch-perfect example of how Vince McMahon is not the same and is not on top of his game anymore, I think you cannot find a clearer example then Karrion Cross and how he was presented in NXT, which is how he had been presented prior to NXT, and then what they did with him as soon as he got to the main roster and how that immediately failed. That's 100% Vince. Um, Absolutely. Karrion Cross is a perfect example also of 
why NXT, anyone who was developed in NXT and did amazing and then went to the main roster was fucking a waste of time. Like they, you know, they developed them into, you know, Triple H's system worked to develop them into, into promising professional wrestlers. What they didn't develop them for is the bullshittery McMannigans that they were going to have to put up with. That was not part of the process. So every time they got someone shot out of the cannon on a great trajectory, you know, trajectory going forward and being this huge star, McMahon was always going to fuck up anyway. And he's, you're right. It is the most perfect example, the most perfect example of this. But you could predict that more specifically, like Ricochet, amazing talent. Not the best interview, but he could at least get it done. But I mean, by you know, McMahon would have an issue with his size. Even Adam Cole, as great as he is, you knew Vince would have a problem with his size. Um, you know, guys that were big, when I say big, I mean successful in NXT, you could predict the things that Vince would have a shit fit about with them for the most part. Karrion Cross, outside of maybe his interviews, didn't fit any of that. He had the size that Vince typically goes for. He had the look that Vince typically goes for. He had the valet that Vince typically goes for. The entrance that Vince typically goes for. Um, you know, as far as I know, there was no objections to his his ring work. Um, he was the prototypical guy that Vince of old would typically want to push on the main yeah. roster from NXT. He was the prototypical guy that NXT was kind of put together to find and send to the main roster so that Vince could work his magic on. Even Keith Lee as you know had big dude, great athletic ability, Vince would have a problem with his aesthetic look cuz he's a heavier heavier dude. Like now I'm not saying Vince is right, but you know that's going to be a hurdle that Keith Lee would have when he got to the main roster, which is exactly what happened. Karrion Cross is Vince's wet dream from the 80s and 90s. And the fact oh, that sorry. he could not promote this dude to his strengths, if he couldn't get this guy over his prototypical wet dream, then what the fuck is he going to do with anybody else that they get there? No. Absolutely, you're right. It's, uh, you know, and of course they gave them the whole bullshit of budget, budget cuts. cuts. They had to get rid of... Budget cuts, that's bullshit. It because, just had the I most mean, they just profitable a, year. <laughs> profitable, yeah, their their quarterly earnings were, uh, that they, they reported was a quarter of a quarter billion of a dollars. billion dollars, yeah. So, and that's definitely, you know, complete bullshit. Now, Nia Jax being gone, you know, fucker, uh, she came off as a, uh, you know, a shoot heel. I mean, she just seemed absolutely unapologetic, unsympathetic to the injuries that she would dole out from her sloppy, shitty ring work. I think a lot of us just thought Nia Jax was there because she was related to Dwayne Johnson. That's why it seemed, sure like that she was, was it seemed like she was untouchable because of that. That's why they never yeah. fired her previously. But her ring work was just dog shit, absolute dog shit. And, you know, you could also see her be very, very... Um, not just sloppy, but careless uh, with the safety of her fellow performers. Kyrie Sane multiple so, times. You know, fuck, fuck her. Um, and I and I feel that. And the only way that her career is going to continue at 37 and being a shit worker is if they play up the, you know, the real life animosity that everyone has towards her. Uh, number two is you're saying Karrion Cross. I 
absolutely agree with you. I know that not just AEW, but Impact Wrestling is interested in both himself and his fiance. And a lot of people were commenting, a lot of the millennials out there who are who really think about this stuff, I think more than Gen X at this point, they're like, that's pretty shitty to cut uh, you know, both incomes off from a household, getting rid of both you and the the fiance at the same time. See, but hey, it's Vince. They, well, they did that twice. It was in the same round of cuts. It was Karrion Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux, as we mentioned. It was also Keith Lee and Mia Yim and they are I forget mm-hmm. if they're married or engaged but they're also together yeah on one hand and then it sucks because you lose both sources of income on the other at least it allows them to go somewhere together as opposed to one of them like for example uh Zelina Vega surprisingly re-signed with WWE while her, her husband Alistair or Malachi Black now is in AEW um, so I saw both sides of that on one hand like I'm glad they cut Bordeaux mm-hmm. at the same time they cut Cross because they weren't doing anything with her anyway And at least that lets them go together somewhere as a package that has worked for them. Um, You know, so in that case, I actually think in the long run, it's better for them. But I agree with the the thought, especially like Keith Lee and Mia Yim, that like, yeah, you're, you're losing all of your revenue at the same time, which is just shitty. Yeah, when the and the final thoughts on that is uh, Eva Marie got fired for like the 18th time. So uh, Eva Marie, one one more time, they tried her and it it didn't work out. Now, I feel you know slightly uh, not bad at all that uh, Eva Marie is goddamn motherfucking gorgeous. She is gorgeous and she can cut a decent promo or better than she used to let's put it that way after years of fucking being developed in it but her ring work is just fucking god awful and there's really nothing you can do with her so maybe they'll maybe on the 25th time of hiring her back uh she'll work out for the wwe but uh good luck out there eva marie and um fuck you nia Jax. i uh i hope you learn how to wrestle one day i think i think marty Jannetty still holds the record for most firings in, in wwe wwf history i believe he still holds that record at like nine times or something jesus all right i think that's our show jason anything else you want to add then we're getting out of here no guys i just want to say thank you very much uh for your feedback we don't always agree but that's part of the process thank you very much for reaching out over this uh subject that we have dealt with more than i ever thought we would but it definitely uh touched a nerve it's the pulse of our listeners so thank you for reaching out to us and commenting on going through this craziness together we really do appreciate all of you we appreciate all the international listenership uh that we've received and of course here in our home country united states of free enterprise thank you very much for listening to we do appreciate each and every one of you and for the uh quick quick before we get out of here for the um the writing stuff and the you know maybe extra podcasting stuff or you know review stuff or whatever that i do on the, the patreon if there's anybody listening that you guys have ideas of things that you would like to see from that by all means please send them and you know because i said i'm just setting it up now so um i absolutely you know, uh, welcome that feedback and would love to know what people are interested in so I can, you know, implement that as part of the part of the process. Absolutely. I think it's a great idea. And while you develop the Patreon, I'm going to be developing one day closer to dead, the flamethrower. So, I mean, we're, we, we both have our, our little, uh, our our little angles. So we're both uh, got a, uh, a, a corner that we are going to monopolize here with this uh, this thing. But uh, guys, honestly, thank you very much. And it'll be awesome to see where After Dead goes. I, I, I love that idea. And that is our show. My partner is Jason Bailey. And my partner over there is the great David Beaudry. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not, I hope, be today. So until next week. <laughs>